I just left them in the car and she went out there to get something and uh, she's like I'd rather you just tell me like, I don't I don't care she's like but just tell me like don't try to make it secretive I was like I'm not trying to make it secretive but but that made me think okay if I say that I'm not going to then I should have enough self-control to not yeah even though I couldn't get it up here I still shouldn't have gotten it because of the word I had just if you given my going word. To you for conscience reasons yeah. or something. I could well, see I that. had just given my word. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So sure. it was more of a speaking the truth. Yeah. And equivocating on that's true. speaking the truth. Ooh, and that's that's a topic I want to head on to when I leave it in this. Is integrity. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, because there are certain contexts where you may have the liberty to do something, but if you've promised that you're not going to do it, yeah. You need to not do it. Yeah. Even if in other contexts you have the liberty to do it. Yeah. But yeah, we we need to get into that too. Yeah. And I have to think about that at work. Anyway, welcome to the Credo Covenant Fellowship. We are a Reformed Baptist podcast. My name is J.D. Warren, and as usual, I'm joined by Billy Linhart. Hello. And we're out here on my back porch once again, and we are just enjoying the beautiful Texas uh, late spring, early summer. It's actually a very pleasant time uh, for June in Texas. Uh, so we thought we'd sit outside and record our podcast out here. Actually, and, we're uh, full-fledged into summer, but it feels like spring out here. It's great. Technically, it's not summer yet. <laughs> Sorry, I got the eye roll. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's your podcast, Jay. yeah. <laughs> my, my wife is a teacher, so technically we are in summer. Uh, yeah, June means summer in Texas, uh, but according to others, it's the 21st of June. Anyway, I was just saying that in all jest. Billy, come back, <laughs> sit back down, re-engage here, or re-enter the cultural conversation from a Reformed Baptist pers- perspective. Don't engage with me. I don't want to lob grenades and fight. So we've we've been talking through uh, books the last few podcasts. We've been more topical. The last podcast, uh, we are back in a book, specifically the, the Second London Confession. And since what we want to do is interact with books and texts, then uh, we, we wanted to spend a little bit of time while we could talking about the Second London Confession and... Uh, this week, we wanted to talk about the chapter uh, on Christian liberty and how we approach liberty um, confessionally as Reformed Baptists and, more importantly, as, as Christians, how Christians should approach Christian liberty. 
the first thing I would tell people to do is become confessional so that they can understand Christian liberty and then approach it from that perspective. But if they're not, mm-hmm. well, let's just talk about Christian liberty according to a, a Christian perspective. Well, at least being confessional will give you a starting point for discussing Christian liberty. Yeah. If not, it's... You know who who knows where you'll go. You'll you'll get into all sorts of perspectives, but at least confessionally, we know that people have already looked at these arguments before and come to a conclusion. That's right. So the first thing really I wanted to do was read the chapter. It's a short chapter. You want to take it paragraph by paragraph, or you want to read the whole thing? Yeah, let's just read the whole thing, and then we'll we'll just kind of look at some of the the miscellaneous um, subjects around it. Awesome. So this is chapter 21 in the Second London Confession, and it states in paragraph 1 that the liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the rigor and curse of the law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion from sin, from the evil of afflictions, the fear and sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation. As also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. All which were common also to believers under the law for the substance of them. But under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged and their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, and in fuller communications of the free spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. Paragraph 2. God alone is Lord of the conscience, and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word, or not contained in it. So that to believe such doctrines or obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Paragraph 3. They who upon pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any sinful lust as they do thereby pervert the main design of the grace of the gospel to their own destruction So they wholly destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is, that being delivered out of the hands of all our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. So typically when people talk about Christian liberty, um, the, the same subjects tend to come up over and over again, and we'll talk about those, uh, in a little bit, but, but primarily, you know, what what is the primary reference that the confession is speaking of when it's speaking of Christian liberty? Well, you know, prior to salvation, uh, while we were still children of wrath, um, you know, sons of disobedience, we were in bondage to something, uh, many things, most of us. You know, we last episode we talked about the rich young ruler. You know, the rich young ruler was in bondage to his riches. He was in bondage to his greed. And that was something that, that he was unable to free himself from. Uh, Je- Jesus goes so far as to say, you know, for man it is impossible. 
but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And that is that is his exposition, that's his explanation of what just occurred with his interaction with the rich young ruler. Right? And so in freeing ourselves from these things, these bondages that we have, whether it be uh, an antinomian bondage or a legalistic bondage, and freeing ourselves from that, we are fully incapable, according to Christ himself. We don't have the ability to free ourselves. But in Christ, we do have that ability to be freed from these things that would keep us from the benefits of salvation, the benefits of redemption. And so, you know, this, the, the entirety of this chapter is devoted to, okay, what things, from what things are we freed in order to follow Christ? And um, how, to what extent do we have Christian liberty? You know, the last paragraph is um, pretty much directed towards those things which, from which we don't have liberty. You know, we, we do not have liberty to do certain things that are explicitly forbidden in Scripture. No. And so it, it talks about not just the extent of our Christian liberty, but it also talks about the limits of our Christian liberty. You know, I think uh, overall it's a very, very helpful chapter for understanding the, you know, the revealed will of God on this subject. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Basically, the the confession is laying out what we're free from, mm-hmm. and then laying out what we're free to. Yes, and what we're not free from, and what we're not free to. Right. So you have you have the the positive freedom from freedom to, and you have the negative freedom from freedom to. So it's all encompassing what the confession teaches. Um, and and so just kind of thinking about what we're free from. Mm-hmm. What is the primary thing? Like what? When we're thinking about Christian liberty, what is the, the first thing that we should be thinking about our freedom from? Well, uh, the, the primary thing that we should be uh, glad of, that we're free from, I would argue, would be the ultimate eschatological consequence of sin, which is eternal wrath and punishment. Secondly, we're freed from the burdensome, overpowering slavery that we have, this bondage that we have to sin in, in the present life. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not, you know, there's not indwelling sin or that there are not, uh, there's not uh, environmental influences that may, may, you know, entice us towards sin. Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't still live in, in fallen, frail bodies with uh, still experiencing some of the effects of the noetic, noetic fall, yeah. so we still make irrational and ethical decisions yeah. based on based on those things. But the, there is a free, a general freedom from bondage to those things that we have in Christ that we ought to take full liberty of that we ought to take you know take full advantage of those things that we have been freed to. We should take advantage of those things. Insofar as we can express that liberty in self-control and moderation, right? I think that's a that's something really important. That's why I'm marching. Yes, I'm marching, marching down freedom's road. Ain't nobody gonna stop me. Nobody gonna keep me from marching down freedom's road. 
Hand me my gun, let the bugle blow loud. I'm on my way with my head up proud. One objective I've got in view is to keep a hold of freedom for me and you. That's why I'm marching, yes, I'm marching, marching down freedom's road. Ain't nobody gonna stop me, nobody gonna keep me from marching down freedom's road. Ought to be plain as the nose on your face, there's room in this land for every race. Some folk think that freedom just ain't right, those are the very people I want to fight. That's why I'm marching, yes I'm marching. Marching down freedom's road Ain't nobody gonna stop me Nobody gonna keep me From marching down freedom's road Now Hitler may rant, hero, he too may rave I'm going after freedom if it leads me to my grave That's why I'm marching, yes I'm marching I'm marching down freedom's road United we stand Divided we fall, let's make this land safe for one and all. I've got a message, and you know it's right. Black and white together, unite and fight. That's why I'm marching, yes, I'm marching. Marching down freedom's road. Ain't no fascist gonna stop me, no Nazis gonna keep me from marching down freedom. And it, and it may almost seem like I'm kind of uh, jumping the shark a little bit, but um, one of the things we are free from also is the ceremonial law. Uh, we're free from the restrictions of uh, not having to um, keep our garments from having mixed fabrics and uh, the sundry judicial laws um, that that so many people uh, point to. And I'm just thinking most most importantly now about God and the great gay Christian debate mm. is, uh, and this goes into Christian liberty, is yes, we are free from the civil and ceremonial law. That doesn't mean we're free to, to come up with our own ethic all by ourselves. So if, if we're free from, from sin... And we're free from the Mosaic Law. If we're free from the judgment of God, now what are we free to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, when we look at that freedom from the ceremonial law, the Levitical law, the civil law, number one, and, and you and I were talking about this earlier because of our, our discussion of uh, covenant theology from Adam of Christ, which we fully expect to get back into one day <laughs> yes. once all of our, our compatriots join us once again on Creole Covenant Fellowship, but Nehemiah Cox makes a really good point. He talks about how a lot of our Pedo Baptist brothers will say that as long as the covenant of grace has been a doctrine, as long as it has been spoken of in Scripture explicitly, as long as that doctrine of grace has been there, there has been a sign for that covenant. And what Nehemiah Cox says, well, actually, that's not true. Because whenever... Abraham first received that promise spoken of in Galatians chapter 3. That promise was given to him 25 years before the covenant of, or the sign of circumcision was instituted. Yeah. 
So for 25 years, we had the covenant of grace, inst- uh, not instituted, but but promised uh, without a sign. And not only that, but we had people that were beneficiaries of the covenant of grace long before Abraham that never had a sign. And we'll get into that. But I was getting to something. What was your question? We're talking about freedom from civil ceremonial laws and what are we free to? So the question is, is, uh, you know, once that's enacted, that covenant of circumcision, which finds its full-fledged expression in the Mosaic covenant and the people of Israel... Right? Yeah. Um, Once we have that, now we have a nation. Now we have a nation that needs laws. Yeah. And what better to base these laws on than the character and nature of God, the the moral law? And so largely what we see in the civil law is, number one, a polemic reaction to the nations around them Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, they do this, so to to set yourself apart from them, you will not do that, you will do this. Yeah. But also within the Levitical law, mixed in there with it are things that are, I would argue, that they are expositions of the moral law. And they are also expositions of things that we find uh, at the time of creation, creation ordinances, such as, uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his, not mother and mother, Not his father and father, father, but he shall leave his mother and father and not cleave to his husband, but cleave to his wife. And so we see this creation ordinance of marriage being between a man and a woman. And so when we see it readdressed, this topic of uh, the definition of marriage readdressed in the Levitical law, and God says, a man shall not sleep with a man for it's an abomination... That cuts right to the character and nature of God and how he has designed his created order. He has designed his created order to exist in a certain way, especially specifically dealing with uh, marriage. He has designed it in a specific way because it eventually, as, as, as we will see in the New Testament, it is a foreshadowing of Christ and the church. Ultimately, when we look back at Genesis chapter 2, and we see that marriage between the man and the woman, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2. When we see that, we are seeing a foreshadowing of the gospel. We're seeing a foreshadowing of the relationship between Christ and the church. And so when we mess with that, yeah. uh, we're messing with, with God's design. Right. And so, so when, it, when it comes to things like that, you know, God's created order, when it comes to... Things that we could we could look at and say, okay, this is obviously an exposition of the moral law. Uh, things like that that we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, I would say, no, those things have not been done away with. Yeah. It's primarily the ceremonial law, yeah. which gives specifics for how the Jews were to practice their religion. Yeah. And then also the civil law, which tells them how they are to um, execute those things within the, within the, the covenant people of Israel. Within the jurisdiction of the nation. Yeah. And in the New Testament, it's not as though in the New Testament we don't have laws for how to deal with lawless people. We do. Yeah. But we call it church discipline. But right. that's a whole other subject. Yeah. So basically you're saying we're free from sin. We're free from our, our sinful inclinations. We're free from the, the depravity that Adam brought us under. And we're free to, to follow the law that we were originally supposed to keep. 
So, so the civil and ceremonial are serving as types. The types are gone. The fulfillment is here. Yes. We, we return to the original intention of God's moral law, and we're free to do that. Mm. So just kind of thinking of some of the, the practical ways you apply liberty, um, one of the, the big issues is always alcohol consumption and stuff like that, and I'm, I'm saying that as we're, we're pouring our, our Baptist milk. Well, it looks good. Our Baptist milk that's aged in bourbon barrels. <laughs> Do you want to top yours off? Alright. That just smells delicious. How does it taste? <laughs> uh, so, just kind of thinking about the practical ways that we we apply liberty. You know, in your mind, how do you how do you try to apply liberty? What are the steps you take to to ask to, to answer those questions in your minds. What am I free to do? Well, I think what am I not free to do? Is the the starting point is not so much what am I free to do, but what am I what am I bound to? What is my authority? I think that's probably the best starting point for for having a discussion on Christian liberty. And I think it's a good apologetic for um, having a regular routine of. Uh, scripture study and scripture reading because there's actually a passage in Proverbs in the book of Proverbs and you know this cuts I think this cuts to the heart of Christian liberty it cuts to the heart of pragmatism it, you know to, it cuts to the heart of of many of these issues that we have to deal with as Christians Here's a really good one, uh, and this isn't the one that I was looking for right off, but I think this will spur on some good discussion until I find it. But in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, it says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Right, And that speaks to the fact that you know, oftentimes we have a tendency to set up for ourselves false authorities. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll tell ourselves, well, it's okay for me to do it because, you know, I, it doesn't affect my conscience in any, in any way. You I know, follow I mean, my heart. Yeah, I follow my heart, you know, and my heart didn't tell me that I don't, don't have to do it. You know, my, my conscience isn't pricked. Yeah. So, therefore, it must be a liberty for me to do this. Yeah. Uh, secondly is Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 25 it says it is a trap for a man to say rashly it is holy and after the vows to make inquiry yeah yeah and so i think oftentimes the trap that people run into with their christian liberty uh, and this is just uh, this is on the side of erring on the side of christian liberty obviously there's an error in the other direction as well but in this era of going too far with claiming Christian liberty, uh, you know, specifically looking at the third paragraph of our chapter here, in this era, what people do is they say, well, you know, it's holy until I find out otherwise. And then once I find out otherwise, then it's no longer holy. Right. Well, I don't think that we have the, the liberty to do that. I think, first and foremost, we need to be familiar with God's word. Yeah. And what restrictions it puts on us. And the only way to do that is, number one, to attend faithfully to the ordinary means of grace, primarily the preaching of the word week in and week out on Sundays. 
And then uh, secondarily to be studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, reading the Bible, uh, reading the Bible with your family, and, uh, and praying through the Word. And as we do those things, and we do those things systematically, because I, I don't think that you'll do it consistently unless you're doing it systematically, but unless we're doing those things systematically, then I don't think that, that we're going to actually be able to make a sound judgment on whether or not something is a true liberty, liberty of ours or not. We need, our consciences need to be bound, as Luther would say, our consciences need to be bound to the Word of God. So when I'm just looking here at uh, Colossians, uh, there's um, Colossians 2.20. Paul talks about that, submitting yourself to uh, mm-hmm. decrees. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no use, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's things that, that seem wise mm-hmm. that may be wise things, but they're... They're the teachings of men. They're, there's something that you know a man has said in my conscience. This is what I follow. These are the rules I follow. It, would that not be wise for us? And how do we go about interacting with with those things? I mean, apparently Paul tells us that we shouldn't submit ourselves to those. Mm-hmm. That these are the commandments of men. They appear to be wise, but it's asceticism. It, it's it's religion. It's uh, let's see, twenty three. It's it's would be religion. Yeah. Um, I have to look this up. I, I think it's in the King James. It's called will worship. Yeah. Um, it, it's worshiping according to the self. When somebody tells us something may be wise, we should be careful and make sure our our thoughts are not captive to that, but they're captive mm-hmm. to the word. So. Yeah, that is really important that we're we're creatures of the word, that we're we're involved in understanding God's wisdom, God's principles, so that we're not taken captive, so that we're not taken away, so that we're not being bound to something Christ does not bind us to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And again, that's I think that's where you know the ordinary means of grace come in because as somebody's preaching, as a pastor is preaching week in and week out. He'll hit on certain things that over time will start to systematize in the minds of the hearers. Yeah. I got a couple of logical questions to ask. Don't worry, I got the answers at the end, but I just want you to pay attention. Don't check your brains at the door. Listen up. Yeah. Does it make sense for me to enter a prayer circle and say amen at the end when I didn't comprehend what they were saying? Was the Holy Spirit given to Christians so when the rhythm is quickening, he can hit them and get them shaking and wiggling? You're listening. If in the house of God has a forbidden, then how could
come. The high priests weren't permitted without them. And furthermore, did the Lord say he dwell in the four walls or in the hearts of those he secures? Can I be blunt for a minute? If it's a sin to get drunk, then what kind of spirit makes you a fumbling idiot? And when did it become known to the Holy Ghost to take control of folks and do things that the scriptures don't promote? And I hope you soak this in when you hear it. Am I supposed to be a sin offering if you slay me in the spirit? Where did they get it? And finally, whether it's rhyme to preach, are you dividing the word or trusting your heart that it's divine and tweets? No, I'm not beefing with any denominations, just relaying the questions of a confused congregation. And if possible, I'd like to give you some logical goggles with which to examine the epistles, prophets, and gospels. Specifically, 1 Corinthians 14, 16, John 14 through 16, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Acts 7, verses 48 through 50, the Titus chapter 2, 1 through 6, please, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Leviticus chapter 1 and 3 and 4, verse 4b and 15 and 24 and 29 and 33, and once again back to 1 Corinthians 14, 40, 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 1 Peter 3, 15, and Jeremiah 17, 9, it's time to rewind so you can write them down if you missed it, Acts 17, 11, don't get it twisted. Yeah. You know, it'll start to all come together as they're hearing these different precepts, these different principles that are coming forth. Like, yeah. for instance, you know, do I have liberty to just make any decision whatsoever without consulting my elders? Well, no. I, I would argue we don't because we have a certain authority structure that's set up in the church that we do need to be accountable to certain authorities. You know, we have our divine authority, but we also have our ecclesiastical authority. Yeah. Right? And so there are certain decisions, major decisions, major life decisions, that you should probably sit down and talk to your pastor about, if for no other reason to demonstrate that you are a man under ecclesiastical authority. Yeah. Right? But how do you come to be convinced of this ecclesiastical authority? Well, I would argue it's through the weekend, week out preaching of the word that over time, these arguments start to compile and you start to see, Oh, I'm just not a lone ranger Christian out here. I'm under a certain authority and I need to come up under this man. And I don't have the Liberty to go around and just make decisions without concert, at least the major life decisions without at least seeking the counsel of my elders. And on on the flip side, that's that's something we should practice. At the same time, our our ecclesiastical authority may lead us in the wrong direction. Very true. Um, so it's a subservient authority. It is, and and we should listen to it as long as it's a biblical, sound advice, sound counsel. And that's why you never trust a man that comes into the pulpit without his Bible. And that's also why you should probably never trust a man who says that he believes in no creed but the Bible. Because when he says that, you have no clue what he's talking about. You don't know how he interprets his Bible. It's, yeah, it's however he feels that day. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's a combination of things. It definitely is. You want to make sure that that man is a man under authority, for sure. Right. The authority of the word. Yeah. But the, the authority of the word rightly understood. Yeah. And I think that, again, we're, we're confessional. Mm-hmm. Um, although the, the elders have an authority, that authority is appointed 
and it's appointed by God, mm-hmm. but it's not directly from God to the elder. It's through the congregation. It's through the congregation, mm-hmm. and that again, that's why we're congregational mm-hmm. in our polity. The the church, the local church, governs the doctrine of the church, and so they have a vested interest to make sure the pulpit is being filled by somebody who is sound in their doctrine. Yeah. And it's funny, even non-confessional theologians have pointed this out, that the church has an, an obligation to hold their pastor accountable in his doctrine. Well, if the church doesn't have the tools to do yeah. so, how can you expect them to do so? Yeah. If they don't have something written down in stone, you have yeah. no reason to expect that they would do so. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got your spheres of authority and and how those play out. I'm just kind of thinking about like the, the practical way that I've learned that mm-hmm. has been really helpful for me is um, the, the church that my wife went to before we got married dealt with this issue of liberty mm-hmm. quite a bit. And they talked about liberty, liberty a lot in the church. Mm-hmm. And... Issues would come up, and they would they would try to determine the church would, and of course they would follow the elders. But the elders would give some parameters as to how to think about certain things, and they they came up with something that I thought was very helpful. And this is just how we've discussed it, how it's formulated in my mind. It may not be exactly how they did it, hmm. but it's very similar. Is is it lawful? That's the first thing. Is it lawful? How do we determine what's lawful? Well, again, like we've said, we're no longer under the civil and ceremonial laws. What laws are we under? Okay, we're under the Ten Commandments. That's right. So is it lawful for me to uh, go to the Texas Rangers game on Sunday? Okay, let's think about this. (laughs) What time is the game? So these are the things that you're, you're having to think, and this is just really practical. Yeah, and I'm a baseball fan, so I would have I would have to answer this question in my mind. Yeah, uh, somebody's giving me World Series Game Seven tickets, and it's on a Sunday. First thing I want to know is what time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know is, is the church is that going to interfere with the assembling of myself together with the saints? Is that going to interfere with with me? fellowshipping with the saints. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the Sabbath is about. It's about putting aside the things of the week, the things I could get accomplished during the week, mm. and just spending a day in rest. So that that's something that they would they would help you, some of the kind of practical principles is is it something that can be done Monday through Saturday? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, then it's a duty of necessity. You're free. Is it something that can be done Monday through Saturday? Yes. Then you probably need to do it Monday through Saturday. Yeah. So World Series Game 7 is not available Monday through Saturday. It's at 7 p.m. There's no worship time. Yeah. I perform my, my duty. I'm free to do it. And somebody listening may disagree with me. But these are just some of the ways that I yeah, yeah. That, that have been helpful to me. Is it lawful? Well, you have to think about God's law. Uh, am I free to drink alcohol? Mm. Is there any prohibition 
in God's moral law against drinking alcohol? No. No. There is no prohibition. So the second step is, that has been helpful, are there any principles or wisdom that God has given us in the rest of his word that should govern how we think about drinking alcohol? Mm-hmm. Yes. Proverbs 20 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Mm. So there's some wisdom principles that we should be thinking about things. Is it controlling my every thought? With, with, with alcohol, it's, it's an intoxic. It's a literal uh, changing how your mind is functioning. Mm-hmm. It's a literal intoxication. But we can also be intoxicated to the point where we lose our ability to think clearly about something. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, for some people it could be shopping for shoes. I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. Um, that, well, yeah. I think, it, I think that's a that's wise. It goes I mean, into a plethora of possibilities. Yeah. And I think that's wise. I think that, you know, just like anything else, you know, if, if you're... Say you're vetting a man who's uh, being considered for the diaconate at your church. Yeah. You want to know that this is a man under authority? Yeah. You want to know that he is a man who has self-control? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't think that it's a wrong question to ask him. Obviously, you wouldn't ask everyone. You know, there's some people that you know they don't drink alcohol or they don't struggle with any particular sin, but I don't think it would be wrong, especially if you know that a man does drink, to ask him, "How often do you drink? When you do drink, how much do you drink?" I, I was asked that uh, before I, before while when I was up for the diaconate at, at our church, I was asked, you know, do you have an issue with drinking? And you know, there are many who many pastors that I know of that specifically will take time off. You know, they may go a week, they may go a few nights or whatever, just to prove to themselves, this does not have mastery over me. Well, you have been listening to the Credo Covenant Fellowship, where we seek to enter cultural conversation from a Reformed Baptist perspective. As always, you can find us on the interwebs. We are on Twitter, at Credo Cove Fellows. Uh, We're on Facebook, so find us over there at the Credo Covenant Fellowship. We have our own website called credocovenant.com, and our email address is credocov at gmail.com. Interact with us, talk with us, um, send us your messages. In any way you want to communicate with us, uh, please let us know, and we will be happy to communicate back with you. Um, We we look forward to seeing you all uh, next week, and until then, may God keep you in his grace and in his mercy. Goodbye. Goodbye.